This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Sometimes readers point us to stories about Minnesota history that are so surprising that I wonder how no one told me this before. That's how I felt about the topic of today's show. The gist of this story is that America's powerful butter lobby fought tooth and nail to prevent margarine from gaining a foothold in American diets. Minnesota was once the nation's leading butter producer, and it was at the forefront of this anti-margarine crusade. We're talking today with reporter Brooks Johnson, who wrote up this history for Curious Minnesota. The question came from David Lose on Twitter, who asked Curious Minnesota to write a story inspired by a tweet from Shay Eisenberg. Shay runs a car service and learned about the margarine wars from one of her clients. We'll hear from Brooks in a moment. But first, here's Shay. A few months ago, I picked up a passenger, and I asked her what industry she worked in. And she said, oh, I'm a professor of Minnesota history. And I said, oh, you know, tell me, you know, (laughs) something that people might not know about Minnesota history that's interesting. And she was, I'm not from Minnesota, but my husband, who is, thinks that the margarine wars, the pink margarine wars, are one of the more interesting things in Minnesota history that people don't know about. And that intrigued me a little bit because I grew up on a dairy farm and did the whole dairy princess thing in high school. And my dad is a huge Minnesota history buff. He passed away a couple of weeks before the story went to print, unfortunately. It would have been fun for him to have read it. So then I went and told my dad about it, and then I looked it up a little bit. And I tweeted it out because I, I thought it was interesting. And here I grew up on a dairy farm and had no clue about it. And then... Somebody suggested that it would be a good topic for a podcast or perhaps a story, and that's, that's how it all went. Well, Brooks, thanks so much for joining us today. So uh, we're talking about butter and margarine, which are unlikely topics for a podcast, but I think anybody listening is going to be convinced that this is a wild tale, that uh, some of you out there listening are probably going to repeat this to other people, I think, because it's so fascinating, as the uh, history professor did to, uh, to Shay in her car. Okay, so just to set the scene here, let's give our listeners a superlative, a Minnesota, we were the greatest kind of trivia fact, Um, butter. We were the butter capital. When? Oh, about a century ago in the 1920s, Minnesota produced more butter than any other states. Uh, And that was the case for a couple decades, actually. And that legacy lives on, of course, in Land O'Lakes and our State Fair butter sculptures. Right. Yeah. So when we see these butter sculptures at the State Fair, remember, this this sort of harkens back to an era when we were the butter state in the U.S., which we are no longer, but we were for a period. Okay, so margarine, we're going to call it margarine, but it originally was called oleomargarine. What's the sort of background of this product? Well, it was invented in France at the request of Napoleon III, who was looking for a cheap butter alternative to feed his armies marauding across Europe. Uh, So in the 1860s, uh, a French chemist came up with this mix of animal fat and vegetable oil, and that spread turned out to taste pretty good and felt like butter and it was pretty cheap to make too. Okay. Um, so it jumped the Atlantic uh, pretty quick and it was uh, not even a decade later, 1873, the 
but the first U.S. patent was granted for oleomargarine. Shortened later to oleo. We'll call it margarine. Right. We had the debate about what to call it in the story, but for this podcast, we'll call it margarine, because, but it was called oleomargarine and oleo uh, during its history. So, okay, they get this, this patent in 1873. There's a part of me that's like, who cares? But a lot of people did care. Why did they care? Why was this so controversial when this started to hit the market in the U.S.? Well, the U.S. and especially the Minnesota dairy industry was growing rapidly during this period. And so in a move of protectionism, uh, the state and later Congress jumped in to fight this new product in order to protect dairy interests across the country and, and here in Minnesota. Okay. And so here in Minnesota, 1885, it's, we're, it's an outright ban. Like you can't produce it. You can't sell it. Margarine, not allowed. There's a great quote here from the governor at the time, which you should tell us. Cause, yeah. uh, governor Lucius Hubbard called it oleomargarine and its kindred abominations. Yeah. That just goes to show just how much um, faith they put in this uh, new industrial type product against the backdrop of this uh, great rapidly developing agrarian economy in Minnesota. Okay. So Congress steps in a year later, and I presume with some of some lobbying from these dairy states kind of influencing them. And so this gets into taxes. So what's the first sort of step in all this? Yeah. In 1886, this is the year after Minnesota's just outright ban. Congress says, all right, you can't ban it, but we can put a two cent per pound margarine tax on. That's 60 cents per pound in, in today's dollars. Um, they also added some exorbitant licensing fees um, and just generally said, you know, OK, it's there, but we're going to help you protect the dairy interests. Remember, at this time, like America's still very, very agrarian, very agricultural based economy, uh, rapidly urbanizing. But 1886, you've got a lot of power from the dairy lobby uh, mm -hmm. talking to politicians to get something like this passed. Right. And we're going to talk later about how this sort of shift to a more urban country really flavors this whole debate. Uh, pun intended, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, OK, so, you know, the Congress is stepping in. The state is banning it. Like, why is margarine such a threat? I mean, you know, we think about it now. Uh, it's kind of I don't talk much about margarine. It seems like kind of an afterthought to me. But why is it so threatening? Why is this such a competitive product in the marketplace? It's cheap. I mean, that's that's all it is. It, it really does come down to price. I mean, you're able to sell margarine for, uh, in today's terms, dollars less per pound than you could find butter, uh, especially in maybe more rural areas or places you didn't have as much competition among you know butter makers, manufacturers. Because you don't need to own a bunch of cows to produce it. Yep, you just need to use essentially you know what's left over from slaughterhouses and then some vegetable oil, which is being produced anyway, and and there you go, you mix it together, and there you have oil. Okay. So this congressional tax that we just talked about sort of screws up Minnesota's ban. Is that right? I mean, like, so Minnesota was trying to get rid of it altogether, but then the feds tax it, and this makes it so you can't really ban it. Yeah, uh, and that essentially means that Minnesota has to find another way to protect their dairy industry if they want to go beyond this congressional action. And they do, several times. Uh, by 1891, this is where it gets wild, Minnesota requires oleomargarine to be dyed pink. Oh, wow, pink. We're sort of used to wild-colored foods to some degree today, but I imagine in the 1890s, the idea of some pink, like artificially pink food must have seemed very, very unusual. Yeah, I mean, to the point that when the U.S. Supreme Court overturned uh, these pink laws, and Minnesota wasn't the only one doing this, Minnesota, the Supreme Court justices, you know, said that these policies, quote, naturally excite a prejudice and strengthen a repugnance up to the point of an absolute refusal to purchase the product at any price. Okay. 
Right. And we should note that our own newspaper was really behind this. Like, we, we were very supportive of the pink color law. What were we saying back in the day? Well, in addition to calling margarine bogus butter, uh, <laughs> the Minneapolis Tribune opined in 1887, all oleomargarine contains coloring matter. Let the color be pink instead of yellow. This simple device would effectively protect the public from deception, and buttermakers would have no further ground to complain of fraudulent competition with their product. Okay, so basically, look, they're coloring it yellow to look like butter. We're just coloring it something else now, and uh, so what's the difference? So, okay, as you just mentioned, the Supreme Court, it ruled that this, these pink laws here and elsewhere were unconstitutional because they were so damaging to this product. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. So it comes down to just a matter of like, look, I mean, you can put restrictions on commerce, but this goes far and beyond. I mean, you, you, you might as well just say you're banning it Right. banning it. Okay. Yeah. So the Congress steps in again with another tax, but th- this one has to do more with color specifically. So what happens in 1902? Yeah, 1902, Congress passes a new nationwide margarine law that puts a 10-cent tax, that's $3.50 today per pound, on every pound of yellow-colored margarine. Now, margarine typically comes out you know, white, whitish, because it's made of vegetable oil and animal fat, um, and then you know manufacturers dye it to make it look more like butter, more palatable, right? More like something you're used to consuming. Mm-hmm. That yellow color is what dairy interests really wanted to see go away, so they can say, like, look it, here's our pure yellow dairy product. You know, this, right. you know it comes from the cow, comes from the farm, it comes from the creamery, and they can point to something that isn't yellow and buttery and say, like, look at this cheap imitation. That's right. what they wanted to accomplish. Okay. And the old tax, which was like 16 years earlier or so, was like two cents. So now we're up to 10 cents. Mm-hmm. So we're upping the ante here on these taxes. So we have this tax at the, at the federal level, and then Minnesota isn't done with its own laws yet. So back to this color issue, mm-hmm. they can't have it be pink. So then what? I mean, what's their response then as far as the color well, they tried a couple different approaches, and they needed to pass constitutional muster. Uh, but Minnesota legislators finally found a way to do this. In 1913, they passed a law that required oleomargarine to be 55% white. 55? 55. So, <laughs> white. Right. It couldn't be mostly yellow. It had to be mostly white. Okay. So, how do you do that? Uh, that's that's how they sold it. You know? Okay. And then we get into something that some of our readers even had memories of. But these were, and this is so crazy. This whole story is so crazy. But this is another aspect of it, is that these dye packs in the margarine now, to because there's such a desire for this stuff to be yellow. Yeah. I, like, almost an irrational desire for it to be yellow. But what, what are these dye packs all about? Yeah, well, to get around some of these color laws that we saw in Minnesota, Wisconsin, other dairy states, you know, margarine makers started to add dye packets to their products that consumers could bring home and then massage into the oil, right? So you've got uh, this yellow buttery color that you're sort of adding yourself and almost, you know, looking at uh, advertisements from back in the day that advertised these these little packs, it, it almost seems like a novelty toy like you'd find in a comic right. book. Like, this is so weird. But at the same time, yeah, you, you want to serve something to your family uh, that they're used to seeing. You know, right. you, don't, you don't want it to appear um, cheap, right? right. You, you want it to look like the real thing. And that's that's what dairy industry, you know, they didn't want to see that, right? right? They wanted to just have their product. It's yellow. But got to save money somewhere. And that starts in 1913. And it goes on so long that, as we said, some of our readers had memories of this, and it's like, I don't know, it, just, it's, it must be one of these very um, unique childhood memories that people never forgot, because it seems like parents would say to the kids, 
hey, do you want to, you know, bust up the dye pack yeah. and ma- massage it together? And then they never forgot, right? Because it's such a unique memory. So just what a strange thing to reveal, to, to, to learn in the course of this <laughs> this story, because I didn't, no one had told me that before. I've never rubbed dye into a margarine packet myself. No, I can't say No, so. we can't <laughs> anymore. There's no opportunities to. Okay, so this, uh, you know, this is 1913. Now we get into the margarine's successful era, the uh, heyday of margarine. So what starts to happen? When, when does it start to uh, pick up? Yeah, through the, you know, 19-teens and 20s into the 30s, the price of margarine still better than butter. Of course, dairy industry is saying like, no, 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 no. You know, they're calling on restaurants to to serve both butter and margarine or or grocers to just not sell oleo altogether. But, you know, it's still cheap. You know, it's mm-hmm. a good, it's a cheap alternative. So Minnesota, still beholden to the dairy industry. In 1933, during the Great Depression, Minnesota legislators impose a new 10-cent tax on margarine. Uh, and that, together with the federal tax, brought margin prices you know, closer to what consumers were paying for butter at the time. I mean, it, talk about an ultimate move of protectionism. You know, you've got struggling folks looking for a cheap source of fat, and still you're putting the dairy interests ahead right. um, of theirs. And, the you know, uh, one of the codas to this story is that it took a world war to sort of ease this cold war that's happening back home on the the fatty spreads front. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what so we get into rationing with World War II and that starts to kind of ease up on some of these things. Yeah, you know, I mean the culture war over margarine softened by necessity, you know, and then restrictive laws and taxes started to fall away state by state, and then um, you know eventually nationally, you know, the national ten cent tax on yellow margarine is repealed in 1950. And that, as much as anything, allows margarine consumption to take off, uh, while at the same time, we're seeing this new trend in low-fat diets that helps push butter sales down, down, down for many decades. And so I I would suggest that people, uh, we're going to put a link to this story in the show notes. There's a chart toward the end of the story, which is fascinating. Um, It's from the USDA, and it shows per capita butter, lard, and margarine consumption in the United States over time. And basically, a little after 1950, that's the intersection where butter and lard are on the way down and margarine sort of is on the way up. And that's where they all meet is like in 1950. So margarine is about to take over the fatty food or fatty spread market. But Minnesota still has a color law on the books for a little bit here, right? All the way into the 60s, yeah. But it uh, it couldn't hold on much longer, you know, because Minnesota farmers were at some point starting to provide the oil that is used, you know, the vegetable oil that is used to make margarine. And so it didn't really benefit everyone equally, you know, in this way. So in 1962, the Farm Bureau says, look, a lot of people are going to Iowa to buy colored oleo. And this is this is a true thing. People would go and bootleg you know, yellow margarine from Iowa and neighboring states that had it. Um, and so Farm Bureau says, by keeping the ban, we just encourage this bootlegging. So in 1963, Minnesota lifts its ban on yellow margarine, you know, the 55% rule. And then Wisconsin followed. They were the last state to repeal a margarine color law in 1967. Wow. And I think what's interesting here is, you know, you mentioned people going to Iowa or, or other places. 
there were commenters and readers who had memories of this, mm-hmm. of, of people going to other states to stock up to sort of avoid taxes. And uh, so one was about going to Iowa. There was another one about a commenter said that their grandfather was a butter maker and they were not supposed to tell him that they ate the oleo, you know, they ate margarine at home. And their family had gotten this margarine because people went on trips, uh, business trips out of state, and then they picked it up to avoid the taxes. Like, Again, all these interesting memories that uh, I guess if you talk to someone of a certain age here in Minnesota, they may have a memory of mm-hmm. sort of the margarine butter, you know, which side are you on kind of debate. Okay, so Minnesota repeals its color law. Wisconsin eventually in the late 60s does as well. You found an interesting article here from the journal Social Problems. Mm-hmm. This is from the 1980s, but it really sort of sums up what was going on here? Because this seems odd to us today, but it's also the backdrop of this is something that we should point out because it really kind of, it it, it talks to the motivations for all of these different laws and taxes and all these types of things. Right. From the 1880s up through even the 1960s, this really is about America's transition from a rural economy and a rural population into a largely urban one. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Social Problems Journal puts it this way. The margarine case was influenced by almost everything but the chemical composition or nutritional properties of the product. This was practically, this is me now (laughs) at the journal, this is pretty much a proxy war between, you know, those who want us to have this, you know, agrarian economy, you know, and remain rooted in that. And then the industrialists and and then sort of urbanized America and growing cities. Um, It's this conflict. And we see this conflict today, of course. Right. Um, But in in less of a pronounced way through perhaps margarine and butter. Yeah. So back to that chart again, which I love so much and I'm staring at right now. So Butter's on the decline and margarine in the 60s. It's going up. 70s, it's going up. 80, it probably hits its peak somewhere around 1980. And then it starts to slowly come down in 1990, 2000. And then 2005, it intersects again with butter. And then butter is now the supreme uh, fatty spread and continues to this day. What was it that got butter back on top? Even though we should note that we are not eating nearly as much of this stuff, any of it, lard, butter, or margarine as we used to. And that's what makes this chart also interesting. But what, what was it that in 2005 kind of changed the game here? Yeah, it wasn't restrictive laws this time around. It was <clears throat> the health hazards of trans fats that uh, really brought margarine to be demonized, essentially. Uh, so trans fats are a byproduct of hydrogenated oils, uh, which help stabilize margarine. It's why you can take country crock out of the fridge, put it on the counter, and it's still solid two hours later, you're putting hydrogen atoms into vegetable oil, essentially. That's the that's the light chemistry lesson here. Okay. Um, that causes uh, trans fats, which stick around in our body and cause all sorts of health problems, uh, as we found out from studies early in the 21st century. And, you know, suddenly that sort of like low fat diet fad was kind of falling away too. We're seeing the rise of Atkins. We're seeing, you know, the early kind of hints of keto and all these um, new trends uh, in diet. And we mm-hmm. just understand better that, you know, fat has a place in our diets. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's dietary fat. So that kind of helped butter look a little better while margarine was looking really bad. And so eventually, you know, trans fats were effectively outlawed. There, You can still get a little bit in uh, without with, while still claiming it, it has zero. But for the most part, you know, trans fats are out. Margarine, though, still declining in sales. 
This is such a fascinating history. You know, it's just one of these things that I never thought much about or had not heard this history before, even though it, some of it is fairly recent. I don't know. It was surprising to me. Did you know about this history before you wrote this story? Not at all. When I got the prompt, I was like, okay, yes, I want to learn everything there is to know <laughs> about this and tell the world. And I'm I'm so grateful to have, uh, you know, another another story to tell at parties that people actually want to listen to. So. Right. <laughs> Well, great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brooks. We appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. All right. That's it for today's show. Thanks, as always, to Matt Gilmer for editing this podcast. Do you have feedback for us or a question you'd like to see us answer at Curious Minnesota? Send us a note at curious at startribune.com. And as always, if you're enjoying this show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.